You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Look, folks, we all know that ice climbing is a miserable, cold endeavor, punctuated by small spikes of joy, mostly when it's over. But if you're planning on heading to the famous ice park in Uray, Colorado, to climb out your self-loathing, why not up the joy ratio by staying in the Wiesbaden Hotel and Spa? Imagine, after your third round of screaming barfies, you can retire to their vapor cave and soaking pool for a, quote, strange, dark, steamy underworld soaking experience. The Wiesbaden is affordable luxury in Ure. In fact, if you climb in Ure and don't stay there, you are totally blowing it. Discounts all winter. Go to wiesbadenhotsprings.com for more information. It's really the only way you'll find me ice climbing. Does your partner suffer from try-it-again syndrome? Or one-hang-itis? Or even worse, delusional performance disorder? Well, there really isn't a cure for DPD, except for a good smackdown. But it does probably mean that you've been belaying them for hours and hours on end, and are now suffering from BNP, or belayer neck pain, a stiffness in the cervical spine just below the occipital region of your thick, thick skull. But now there's a cure for BNP resulting from DPD. Ask your doctor about belay specs, and when he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, just smile and tuck that prescription for opiates away for your next overseas plane flight. But then ask several strangers about belay specs. Ask that cute barista at the coffee shop on the corner about belay specs. In fact, ask everyone you know about belay specs. Keep talking about belay specs until nobody wants to climb with you anyway. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, then go to belayspecs.com and get yourself a pair. And don't forget to enter EnormoCast at checkout for a discount and to help out the podcast. Side effects may include people thinking you're staring at them when you're not. Old trad climbers rolling their eyes. People putting them on for the first time and saying, ooh, that's trippy. People insisting they don't like those weird glasses even though they've never even tried them. If you feel drowsy, nauseous, or rumbling in your stomach, horny, confused, or have strange, vivid dreams, this probably has nothing to do with belay specs. It is more likely from that bug you picked up in that backpacker's hostel in Rio after far too many caipirinhas. Belayspecs.com. Say adeus to belayer neck pain. Listen, uh, uh, where you playing it at? You, you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh it's yeah, a big place. That's, it out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it's it out. Twenty thousand seats. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is February 5th, 2016, about 9.30, Mountain Standard Time, Winter Time. This is episode 98 of the Enorma Cast, rolling into triple digits. 
a conversation with Eric Barnard. Who's Eric Barnard? Well, you're going to find out. But some of the upper Midwest listeners just perked up. And maybe some folks from Pocatello. So we're pretty hunkered down here at the Enorma Cast midwinter. It's not been a good rock climbing winter as it often is around Carbondale. Um, it's been pretty cold here and not getting a ton of sunny days to get out on the rock, which is usually a nice feature about this place. Ice climbers are stoked, skiers are stoked, rock climbers not that stoked. The only small bit of business I want to mention is that my major sponsor, Underwriter, supporter of the show Black Diamond does have a recall that just came out yesterday uh, for some carabiners and some slings. You definitely want to get online and check that out. It's all over Facebook. Uh, They've got a little inspection process you can go through to check out uh, if there's some problems with a few pieces of gear within certain serial numbers. So go check that out at blackdiamondequipment.com. Want to get that out there. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. For business. So let's get to the interview with Mr. Barnard. I got a couple requests to have this guy on the show and kind of uh, ran it down. I get a lot of requests for certain people and I have a big master list. And once they get on my sort of list and interest level, I just kind of keep an eye out for a possibility to meet up with them as I still do all these face to face. And I was back in Wisconsin for Christmas, because that's where I'm from. I was born in Green Bay. My folks live up there, retired back to that area. And I realized that, you know, I don't give a lot of love to the Midwest or the upper Midwest. So I thought it was time to track this guy down. He lives over in Winona, Minnesota. So I got in a car, drove over there, found Winona, which we'll talk about in the the podcast, and sat down with Eric. Incidentally, and also to show just how hard I work for you people, is I got back in the car after the interview and drove back to Green Bay across northern Wisconsin through one of the most horrendous driving situations I've been in in quite some time. Luckily, I was driving my mother's nearly pristine, but something like 15-year-old Jeep Liberty. It's a classic you know, grandma car that never gets driven. So it's got like, I don't know, 50,000 miles on it after that many years. Anyway, luckily driving the four-wheel drive because Google sent me off on some really back road, county roads, and I ended up just like making first tracks through like eight inches of snow in this full-on blizzard. And then finally, when I got back on the highway, it was just like full-on Armageddon where just every couple miles, there was a car off the road. There were these huge jackknife trucks on these overpasses and on exits and everything else. And I finally got back home after like seven hours driving. So anyway, I just wanted to put that in there. This is for real, folks. The lengths the Norma cast goes to get you these interviews. Yeah, boo-hoo, whatever, Caloose. Just give us our fucking interview. So back to Eric. Eric also fits that bill. I get a lot of requests for the everyman. And he'll tell you that he is an everyman. Although once you're done with the interview, you realize that there's probably no such thing as an every man or every woman climber. Everybody's got a story, it seems like. And yeah, I do get a lot of requests to have those folks on the show. But, you know, there always has to be an angle. I feel like I need a little bit of an angle. And Eric's contribution to the climbing community in Winona, his contribution back a little earlier at Devil's Lake, 
and the fact that he has gathered some folks together and are actually building an ice park in Winona, Minnesota. Midwest Ice Park, another one. There's a couple, I think, in, uh, well, at least one in Minnesota. And he's trying to kind of build on a blueprint for taking a little town with some cool resources and trying to up the outdoor activity, up the outdoor tourism. And as he says, build some climbing because that's what he wants. He's married, has three kids, is pretty much settled into Winona and decided, well, there's not a lot of climbing around right now. I'm going to build some. So that's kind of his story. And I hope you guys enjoy that. And another kind of announcement, I haven't really mentioned this on the show, is that the normal cast world is about to change in and of itself because uh, myself and my girlfriend are expecting an enormous baby, a little boy in March. So this is a major life-changing thing, obviously. It's going to change my climbing. It's going to change my life. It's probably going to change the enormous cast a little bit. So we'll see what happens. Bumpy road. I think I'll be able to keep this thing going. But Eric had a lot of really great things to say about being a climber with a family, being a climber with three little boys, what that means to him, what that means to them. So this was a very interesting podcast for me to try to glean some information, some actionable intel, as it were. So that's the big announcement, baby coming, a normal baby, yeah, hopefully not that enormous for my girlfriend's sake. Okay, the upper Midwest is known for its farming community, so it was good to talk to a climber who's also a bit of an ice farmer himself. Just talked to him this morning, called him up for a little bit more information about uh, what we talked about. And he answered the phone. I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm going to start the water on the ice park. So they're just getting it in. It's kind of a trial run this year. Uh, He said he has 18 spigots. So I don't know how many ice climb that's going to be. But it's getting it going. Winona, Minnesota. Buy your house now. Move there. It's going to be a huge climbing community in the next decade. I do a lot of bullshitting, man. Well, that's yeah. fine. If you've listened, then it's, it's totally fine. I'm just like, so, people finally just give me money to just stop coming to their offices, you know? Yeah. Well, then you you were made for this podcast. <laughs> so. so I'm just going to start by asking you about this uh, ice park thing yeah. that you're working on here in Winona. Yeah. Winona, Minnesota is going to become an ice climbing mecca. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know if we we need to throw that word out there yet. <laughs> it will become an ice climbing place mm-hmm. for sure. Um, yeah, it kind of it goes back to um, you know if you don't have the things that that make you happy around you, you can either travel to them or you can create them. And so, you know, having three kids and a family and a career, I don't I don't get to leave as much as um, as I used to be able to. So just started looking around and thinking, well, why not run some water? We have large cliffs here at steep hillsides. We could actually make something that would be pretty inspiring to have right in our backyard. And I don't, I don't care who you are. I mean, if you can drive five minutes and go climb a, a pitch of ice, all of a sudden that town's looking kind of nice. Right. You know, so uh, it definitely was selfish motivations <laughs> for sure. But, well, when did you sort of come up with the idea or maybe more importantly, 
think it was possible? Um, yeah, I've been to um, you know Uray and the ice park there before. I'd worked there a couple years too, and climbed there and uh, saw what they were doing. They were in a unique situation with a canyon and stuff. But um, what really inspired me here was seeing what the uh, what the Minnesota Climbers Association was doing up in Sandstone, Minnesota, and they took an old quarry that used to have some natural seepage and people could climb it under the radar and that and they got organized and went to the city council and said listen if we run some water here this could actually be something that people would come and want to do and maybe spend money in your town and they embraced it and, and it's been a huge success and seeing really kind of the ease of it um, inspired us to to think about doing it around here last year we did a pilot project we had a private landowner with a big cliff right off his house in town let us run some water as an experiment and it was really easy, and we had four like hundred foot pillars, five hundred feet right above our town. Right. And all of a sudden, it was like, "Hey, I've got forty five minutes. You want to go get a pitch in?" And all of a sudden, I felt like I'm living in kind of a cool town. All of a sudden, right? You know. Well, I'm going to describe it a little bit because we're we're sitting in the Midwest, and and uh, I, I I asked Eric to come on the show because he's a Midwest guy, although he's lived out west, which we'll talk about in just a minute. He made the the weird opposite <laughs> migration, but. You know, I've been wanting to kind of get, you know, more regions involved in the Enormacast, so I found this opportunity to somehow get my ass to Winona, which doesn't need to be explained on here necessarily, but it's hardcore. a little strange hardcore. that I'm here. You're hardcore. And it's like, I got to drive like four hours tonight, and it's dumping out right now. But anyway, you know, as I came across Wisconsin, mid-state Wisconsin, it's flat, it's super flat, and, you know, right before the river you start to see hills and yeah. and I was kind of thinking because you had told me on the phone like hey there's there's cliffs there really are cliffs here and we, we we're working on it and we got this ice park idea and stuff yeah. Yeah. you know and I'm just this guy from Colorado like rolling my eyes like it's gonna be some like road cut you know yeah. with some ice running down it Standard. which you actually have by the way yeah. I saw a couple ice yeah. oh, flows yeah. on those but yeah. but then you hit some hills and actually there's some cliffs mm -hmm. visible from the river mm -hmm. and we're on the the Mississippi River right on the Mississippi River yeah. and it's huge here already yeah you know it's not like we're up by where somewhere there must be a trickle yeah but yeah. so you've got this landscape that I mean it kind of has a almost a black hillsy look to it or yeah. even down in Kentucky and stuff these wooded hillsides with yep. these cliffs around yeah and uh yeah so I started to be like oh okay I get it and not only the climbing but the outdoor recreation in general yeah it's great because you know even my limited mountain biking experience um you know these kind of sort of rolling wooded hills I think appear would appear to make a lot more enjoyable mountain biking than like steep rocky things sure. like we have in Colorado. Yeah, easier which I've trail always building thought. and yeah. lots of lots of climbing and lot, yeah, lots of good actually really good riding. Yeah, so I, I sort of got on board when I arrived here in town cool. and um, and saw some cliffs and you've even got this little pinnacle thing. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, the sugar town. Yep. Is, is that what that's yeah, called? Yeah, it's a rock tower. It's like 600 feet above town. Yeah. 100 foot little mini like devil's tower thing or whatever right that's kind of and there's cool. climbs on it yeah yeah there's uh about i just kind of we really have developed it just in the last year mainly beginner climbs but i think there's a maybe 15 routes up, mm -hmm. up on it so. so you so you let's go back to you're talking about the ice park so you you got these folks to let you make some ice on their walls yeah and yep. um i mean i imagine it's not that 
hard because it's cold here. Yeah, for it was a big super chunk easy. Year. It was super easy, and it was fat. And we right. put LED rope lights in it because uh -huh. it gets dark here early. Mm -hmm. And so even if it was dark, we can go climb. And it illuminated the ice fall so much that you didn't need headlamps. And All actually, right, so you've climbing got LED it, was, it was rad because it was almost like you were in a dream world the first couple times we did it. It was wild, <laughs> and you didn't need headlamps. And it actually was crazy because it illuminated the ice fall so much that it was almost no difference in like your technical climbing between day and night. You know, if you go rock climbing with a headlamp on, that's considerably harder. Right. You know, but this was just like, it was a glowing icicle that you were climbing. It was super, it was great. Nice. You know? And then it looked cool from town because you could see it from everywhere. And what, what, uh, what did this, uh, this landowner or this person, what was his or her stake in it? They just so, were friends of yours? Or no, what? not at all. Um, and I've had, we've had a really good run with private landowners. So Minnesota is a really awesome state. So private landowners, there's a recreational statute in Minnesota that says as long as the landowner doesn't charge any money, they have zero liability, whether they know or don't know. Unless the landowner has malicious intent, um, they have no liability. And there's okay. already been legal precedent set. So we had a friend who was a lawyer and a climber. And we got the statute out, and I approached the landowner and said, listen, like, we just want to do this. It's like almost gathering data so that we can go to the city and say we want to do mm -hmm. this on city property. And in return, what we'll do is come in the spring, and we'll bring like 30 or 40 folks for a weekend, and we'll do some work on your property. You, know, okay. you need wood chopped, need that gravel pile moved, right. whatever. And um, he was like, okay, as long as there's no liability, this sounds cool. Okay. And so, um, so we did some work over the winter, like moving some stuff around and he let us run the water and he vacations in Arizona, so he was gone. Okay. And it was crazy because like you park in his driveway and we walked down a spiral staircase on his back of his deck uh -huh. and we just had static line in the trees for like master points and we, you just wrapped off and there's the right. ice. It was super convenient. <laughs> it's not going to be that way anymore, right. but it was, you know, so um, it was great. We got to kind of see what happened to the ice when it melts. Right. That was a concern of the city. Like they thought it was going to be this big waterfall and wash the hillside away. Yeah, big chunks I, of ice yep. rolling down. And yeah, I got geologists from the university mm -hmm. to kind of study the, uh, the, the soil and all that and how like porous it is and the absorption rate. And then they taught us about ice creating its own microclimate and how it really just evaporates and and that's what it did so we had that data to go to the city and say okay. it's not going to hurt the land really right so um so yeah we just did work for him and he was he was down with it uh-huh and that was last winter yep okay yep so then you've now you've sort of laid some groundwork and we talked a little bit when i got here about how you've got this relationship with the city that's like i mean i've n never heard of quite like as amicable as it sounds with sort of city officials and it's ironic that that would happen in a place like Winona, Minnesota where yeah. you know uh, I guess people have heard about climbing now thanks to kind of the extreme sports boom mm -hmm. but I've always found that one of the big problems anywhere is when you bring climbing or you talk to people about climbing they're they have just these weird concepts about it, and and their general notion is to be like, no, 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 that that's too oh, weird. Yeah, it's sure. too dangerous. People are going to die. We're going to have all these problems. It's a liability. Along. Yeah, that's the quote you hear all the time. Yeah. yeah. So, so instead, you've gotten at least some buy-in so far. Oh, they've been. It's, it's amazing. I mean, they're totally on board. Uh huh. Um, 
you know, having city officials, our mayor, you know, saying if you can find climbing on city property, like please develop it, uh -huh. you know, and we've taken them up to the climbing areas and shown them what fixed anchors are and we've come up with, you know, a fixed anchor application and um, really the big thing that we're trying to do is get it all out on the table. Right. You know, we're no longer hiding behind the scenes. We are now, we are a legitimate user group. We care about the land. We're going to take care of it. We're going to be organized and pick it up and add features. We'll raise funds for trails and things like that. And they're starting to see us like, wow, these guys are really helpful mm -hmm. for managing, you know, and giving us input of how we can be better and develop that outdoor recreation economy. Um, and so it's, it's really been an amazing thing to see that these people for the most part are not outdoorsy people right you know um, our mayor is not a physically active man right <laughs> just the Midwest um, there's a little yeah bit of a yeah so um, it's been really cool and just trying to leverage you know our user group as a means to really add something to the city right and they're all in that's I mean, so cool it's really cool well what I mean, what's this site look like? You were just saying that you might have to run how much piping to get up there? We're gonna run at um, at least a thousand feet. Once we finish phase two next year, it'll be about two thousand feet of okay. hose and pipe that we'll be running out to the site. Um, it's a ravine, like a little mini canyon, and then it has extremely steep hillside above it too. Um, steep enough hillside that when we go around and look at the area we use ropes to repel and ascend okay, back right. up so which makes good like grade two grade three ice if you run water over it has little rock bulges and then there's rock cliffs there's you know 100 foot rock cliffs that will have you know free hanging daggers and stuff coming off of them and pillars and all that so um, i really want to try to develop a little bit though of some kind of alpine-esque climbing to get mm -hmm. those new people into leading it's really hard if you go to an area and everything's grade five to learn how to lead right. ice right you know so having some good cruisers so people can learn how to play screws and build belays and all that then that transcends if they want to go out west mm -hmm. you know so it's both something for us here but then it gets us, you know, dialed so that we can make the most out of our trips when we go to places like Cody or, you know, Colorado and stuff. So, so w give me a guess on what you think the um, the size of the native ice climbing scene is in Winona right now. <laughs> <laughs> or am I am I like gonna mess with your numbers that you're no, gonna bring no, to uh, bring no, to the city no, later uh, on? So you, in, you've you've yeah. sold them that there were. Thousands of no, them here. No, not at all. <laughs> Every other all. household yeah. right next to their shotgun is a pair of ice tools. So, <laughs> no, and I haven't tried to fool them at all. I've actually done the opposite, you know. And I've, you know, we have a small population of people um, who who like climbing ice who have climbed for a while um, in our town. You know, surrounding towns, there's more for sure. Um, but the thing is, is that. If you're an ice climber, and if you're especially an ice climber in the Midwest, I mean, we all know that's the gear's expensive. Sure, you know, it's 500 bucks for a pair of boots. You right. know, one Nomic ice axe is 2.99. If you're right. buying retail, it's like so. If you have it, you're going to use it. Mm -hmm. And if I have to drive three hours to use it, goddamn it, I'm going right. to drive and I'm going to use this because I love ice climbing. You know, and so I think that's one thing is you know hoping it's going to be kind of the uh, you know if you build it, they'll come. You know, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what we did when we built a climbing gym in this town. You know, Waltopia was like the square footage you're putting out here is way too big for your population. But we were kind of like, well, once we build it, the population of climbers are going to grow. And All I right. think the same thing with, with um, for the ice park. And for me, you know, one of the things I really want to see out of having an ice park, yeah, I'm selfish and I want to have really good ice right in town. But I want to see our 
outdoor recreation economy grow in this town, which means my property values would go up and maybe somebody will open a really good restaurant or a brew pub because of that community growing. And so that's kind of the secondary thing that I really want to see here too is, you know, we have great fat biking, we have amazing Nordic skiing, if we can have great ice climbing and snowshoeing, all of a sudden people you know, for a weekend might want to come here, right. you know, and hang out and listen to a good music. I mean, we have amazing music scene, so it's um, kind of hoping that it'll just be another factor that brings people here. Yeah, because you guys, you were saying, too, that you're sort of inserting this this idea into maybe something else that you're seeing going on in Winona, and again, to describe Winona, it's a river town, it's old, Yeah. yeah. and, you know, I just pulled into town it just drove kind of one way down. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't been around town, but, you know, it's it's definitely an old town. Yeah, it's a crusty river town. Yeah. That's cool. But you've got a university, at least. Uh, we have two universities oh, okay. and a technical college. Okay. Yeah. So you've so. got a young, at least some young population, which yeah. are, are people to bring into the sport. Yeah. We have an amazing art museum that's uh-huh. loaded with Van Gogh and Picasso and Monet and all the Hudson River and it's just amazing that right. we have these we have Washington crosses the Delaware which used to like hang in the White House you know that's in our museum and it shouldn't be here it's crazy what, like, the art what museum is, is off here? the charts here. is it because of yeah. you were saying how there used to be there's a, there's like a lot of money, money and stuff right. and you know it's right on the river and it's just amazing to see like it has all of the masters here and it rivals large cities you know art galleries but it's here it's right. weird. <laughs> yeah. But, and then the music is, you know, I think a lot of really good artists going between like Chicago and Minneapolis stop here because it's kind of this cool, down low, kind of crusty river town. They can take a deep breath before right. they move on or whatever. So we catch a lot of people coming through. That's really cool too. So that adds to, and I think the arts and the music, that kind of arts, culture, community totally dials right in with like climbers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we appreciate those type of things. And after a good day of climbing to be able to go and, have a cold beer and listen to high quality music that makes it even better for sure yeah for sure you know and it's funny because you you like the whole pitch you know because even we'll get one of the master references into this episode is you know in the old days when they first started bolting rifle that was one of their pitches like we're gonna you know this will help the economy and it was actually totally bullshit yeah then yeah. Because a you don't if you're coming from the front range you don't actually ever go in to rifle the town, mm-hmm. and b you know climbing was so underground then that like sure. yeah even if you bring the masses there's still not very many people right but it, it does feel like again along with the idea that we're we're a legitimate user group and we have this political power in a sense because there's enough of us now i think it's actually coming to the point where there is enough of us and enough from from a certain demographic to actually make good on that promise yeah if it works mm-hmm. if people show mm-hmm. up they will go out spend money stay places right especially in the winter yeah you know because you don't have a lot of choices yeah you don't have a lot of choices yeah I mean, super hardcore folks will go out and camp, but this is freaking Minnesota. Yeah. It's not exactly... But the other thing, too, about being in Minnesota is yeah. that it's cheap. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, you can get a pint of beer for three bucks. Mm. A good one. Right. Your yellow beer, buck fifty. Yeah, yeah totally. Hotel those, room, they still you know, 75 bucks. Still in those little teeny glasses. Tappers. Yeah, the tappers. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I, like, I, I guess I'm just kind of like, I'm awake, waking up to this as you've been talking. I'm like, yeah, maybe this time it will... 
or in this place and in this situation, that promise will come true. Yeah. Because I think a lot of climbing over the years has sort of made that promise to these towns. And even places around the world, you know, um, where you're like, yeah, you're going to have this climbing economy. Yeah. Wink. It can't be, though, you know, and really it's it's got to be more than that right you know and we all know like climbers a lot of us at some phase we've been dirt bags and just scraping by and you want to actually save as much money so you can climb as long as possible but now you know if climbing is more mainstream and the people who mountain bike also like to climb you mm-hmm. know people who nordic ski also like to ice climb and right. you get that crossover so I think maybe it is becoming more legitimate, you know, and I've had to do a lot of research just when I go into these meetings with, you know, you know, regional directors for our DNR or state park folks or city folks or whatever it is, like we need to have that data. And a lot of times one of the big things is pushing the whole outdoor recreation economy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know that it's, it's the third largest economy in the United States. You right. know, it goes healthcare, insurance outdoor recreation okay you know, it's bigger than the pharmaceutical company and the automobile companies combined really like it's legit it's 380 billion dollar industry a year in the united states so that's data that you can't ignore and everybody starts thinking well maybe we should get our slice of that pie right. too you know so um so the money's there mm-hmm. it's just you know maybe just having the right vision to be inclusive you know, with not just maybe the recreation folks, but the arts and culture, you know, the music folks too, and getting that kind of holistic approach maybe to the whole thing. Well, it's, I mean, it's funny because it, it makes for a really nice place. Like, you know, if you travel around as climbers often do, you know, it's like you go into these towns where there's some climbing, but maybe the industry is the thing or mining is the thing for sure yeah and you're just like this place is horrendous like we're here and we're gonna lay low because there's some cliffs outside of town yeah but this is awful yeah you know and then you go to these places that are like what you're talking about and actually you know where i live is very nice like that Mm -hmm. um as well and you're just like wow this is a really nice place yeah you know so it's kind of funny because it's like convincing you know these people that you know having art and music around it actually is like it makes your like you know your your uh, the 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 lifestyle is really nice and you yeah. guys might enjoy it you know right in, instead of like well we're gonna bring in you know gas and oil yeah for the next five years sure. until it busts yep and then they're gonna leave and leave us with like the mess yeah you know and we I mean? have that here you know the frac yeah. fracking industry right um, we happen to have the best sand for fracking because it's this Jordan sandstone. It's these perfectly round granules. Uh-huh. And so these frac sand, these fracking companies want our sand because it helps fracture the earth better. They want your sand. And so they just rape the hillsides. Right. And you'll just see, and then we're the port because we're right on the river. Right. So all these trucks with this super fine sand is coming into our town and mm-hmm. it's you know a silica-based sand that causes breathing problems and all that. And some people have that short-sighted vision of, hey, this is money into our economy. And mm-hmm. my argument has been like, you know, the property value of my home is not going to go up because of the frac sand mining. Right. You know? But if we develop these outdoor recreation resources, we have really good climbing and biking and skiing and ice climbing in our town. Like, people are going to want to live here. You know, like mm-hmm. it's expensive in Boulder for a mm-hmm. reason. And I'm not going to compare Winona to Boulder, of course. Like, no, we're in the Midwest. The Boulder of Minnesota. You know, <laughs> for sure. Wow. Without a doubt. Wow. <laughs> Boulder, dude. <laughs> but it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean. I have three kids and, you know, our roots are here. So 
if we're going to live here, let's make it mm -hmm. as rad as possible, make it the best place we can live. And if I have any way that I can have any kind of input to make this better around here, it's good for me, it's good for my family, it's good for our community, you know? So it's, uh, it motivates me enough to work just because right. of that, because I mean, we're not moving back west for a while. Right. So. Maybe ever. Because, I, I mean, yeah, you know, like I well, said, it might become the boulder of Minnesota right. with the good parts, not the bad parts. Right. The thing I learned, though, it blew my mind, kind of, was when we lived in the West, since our families all lived here, we used all of our vacation time to go back to the Midwest and see our family. Right. And we were, yeah, we can weekend warrior. I could drive seven hours as Ion and, mm -hmm. you know, have a three-day weekend and climb a wall. And you were up in home. Idaho. You know, yeah. And um, now, every year, we take, like, a month to six weeks and go. Our whole family. We did a whole. We hit 14 states in the Northeast last year, and went to Acadia and stuff. And then we'll go and do a month or six weeks. In you know, my wife's an elementary teacher. I work at the university, so we can take a month, month and a half off, right. and just road trip. Right. And all of a sudden, we get to see our family in those weekends and downtime where before it's, we were yeah, trying to get. Yeah. So right. it's you know, I mean, I definitely miss being by the mountains and stuff for sure, but um, it works. Yeah, but you have that river. Yeah, that helps me a lot. At least we're by something that's, like, great. Yeah. It's totally. <laughs> the I greatest mean, it's, river. It's impressive. So, yeah, and it's to be respected. You yeah. know, it claims lives every year. And, yeah. Um, and it's a cool, yeah, it's the mighty Mississippi, the big muddy. So you moved here, uh, well, did you grow up in uh, somewhere around here? I grew up in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Okay. Right next to Devil's Lake. Right, Devil's Lake. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you let's get to that. So you grew up in Baraboo. Yep. Um, the the uh, Ringley Brothers Circus <laughs> Museum. All right. So that there. always comes up. Yeah. And so I always have to give a disclaimer <laughs> right away. Like first off, neither myself nor any of my family members were ever in the circus. Okay. Good. Okay. So I just yeah, want right. to get that out right, there. That's good. Um, there's a few go karts there too. Yep. So yeah, a kind of a resort area for Wisconsin, and you're right next to Devil's Lake. Yeah. And. Devil's Lake has as old a climbing tradition as almost anywhere in the state. It is, yeah. You know, it's right. It's Stettner right there. Brothers yeah. and Fritz Wiesner and, and Erickson, I mean, Jim Erickson started really, climbing there. Yeah. Um, I just found out. I don't know if he climbed there or not, but Bob Camps was from was a Wisconsin oh. guy originally that did. The, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. somebody just posted that on my Instagram. Actually, I don't have a hundred percent confirmation on that. Nice. But anyway, it's and it was like. This sort of like, you know, kind of stepchild of what was going on between Yosemite and Boulder and the gunks. Yeah, it back in was. the day, and they were like, "But what about us?" Yeah, always. You know? Still. Yeah. Well, still. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's it's it, it has some of the the same claims that a lot of these areas have, where they're just like nobody knew it, but you know, so and so Pete Cleveland was climbing five twelve here before yeah. anybody. Yeah. You know, so it's a storied area. Did you? Growing up there, have any idea about rock climbing out there or anything else? I didn't know about rock climbing, but man, it was something that was on my radar from a really early age. So we lived about eight miles outside of Baraboo, and then Devil's Lake is another three miles past it. And I'll not, I, my earliest connection with Devil's Lake was I remember I was, I was five, and my brother had just turned 16, and it was summer, and I remember... He and his buddies were going to go to Devil's Lake, and they were going to go swimming and uh, hiking. And I wanted to go because it just sounded cool. I was five, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I want to go. I want to go. Of course, little brother. He's like, no way. And um, he drove away, and my mom was inside, whatever, you know, not 
watching me carefully or whatever, not that she sh should have been. And I just said, screw it, man, I'm going Devil's Lake. And I got on my little dirt bike mm -hmm. and I just started riding. <laughs> yeah, Down no, the road. like pedal bike. Oh, pedal. Okay. Pedal bike, I was five, <laughs> okay, I was five right years on. old. And I'll never forget, like there was that time that the, the <laughs> hit song was Jukebox Hero. Right. And often it was Jukebox Hero. He's got stars in his eyes. And I was just singing that over and over. And I pedaled my ass like eight miles uh -huh. into town, thinking once I got to Baraboo, that Devil's Lake would just appear. Sure. And just rode around, rode around, rode around, never found it. My mom ended up driving into the police station. And I just happened to be riding in front of the police station. She got me. But I look back on that and I was like, <laughs> yeah, she was pissed. You know, I was yeah. five. No, no. I was five, man. Right, and I right. just rode like 10 miles right. on my tracks, on dirt bike, you know, right. and uh, from Kmart. And, but I look back on that now and I was like, yeah, I was always drawn. And then through high school, like I was really drawn to the park and I'd, you know, go hiking. We'd hike in the boulders. And I remember seeing people with ropes, but just didn't register at any uh -huh. level. And um, I was back from Colorado on a vacation and that's where I finally first climbed. Ironically, I was living in Colorado and I started climbing at Devil's Lake. And so, um, and it totally just changed my whole life, right. you know, for sure. From there on, it was that was my singular focus, you know. So I was about I was nineteen. Why I did you out. Why did you bail out west? What was I your think motivation originally? I think it's the Midwestern dream, right? Mountains, oh, yeah, go that, west, yeah, you know. Sure. And um, and so I took a ski trip when I was you know eighteen and went to Big Sky Montana, saw mountains, and that just got me super psyched. And then <laughs> it started by um, kind of funny, got into the Grateful Dead, and. Uh, me and two buddies came up with this idea that we're going to go to Alaska, we're going to work in the fishing industry, we're going to make a bunch of money, we're going to buy a van, and we're going to follow the Grateful Dead. And I'm going to make pizza bread. And my other buddy had this like disc stamper so he could do custom stamps on Frisbees. Uh -huh. My other buddy's family worked for the circus, and he had a snow cone machine, and he was going to make snow cones with optional booze in them. Sure. We had this plan. It was perfect. Or acid you know? or whatever. Yeah, you, you could totally. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be extra. Right, but, of course. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, but while I was in Alaska, frickin' Jerry Garcia died, man. Just screwed my plans right, the up, whole man. Plan. So I just packed you, my you shit. You mistakenly and... thought that was all going to come to an end, <laughs> yeah. like a lot of people did. Yeah, it was but... a it was a plan that yeah. just was had a hundred percent success rate in our mind. Like totally. Was, well, like happen. I said, you thought just because Jerry died, it was all going to end, but you right. could have actually just kept going. Yeah. Until what? Last this last yeah. summer. <laughs> and still maybe keep going. But so I, uh, I packed all my shit into a backpack and hitchhiked mm -hmm. to San Francisco and made it to the Jerry Garcia Memorial or whatever. And then I was just floating and ended up landing in Fort Collins with some friends who were there and ski bummed it for a while. And that's when I came back after the ski season, kind of during the mud season, came back to Wisconsin to see the family. and walked into a bar and that's when a dude just offered to take me climbing and so had you when you were in Fort Collins did you climb at all or did you nope. just again like kind of know about it pretty much kicked hacky sack right through frisbee and city park okay yeah I remember you. <laughs> I was a total slacker you know um <laughs> just yeah day -to -day, this is what the mid-90s you know, yeah okay. yeah mid-90s and right. um and so yeah but then I remember going climbing and thinking this is what I want to do every day for the rest of my life and it was just, that's all I wanted to do. Right. Singular focus. And so you, you had that like revelatory moment and the, the, the aligning of the planets in this bar. Yeah. Which, you know, I've climbed in, the De in Devil's Lake as a tourist in a sure. sense, like, you know, because I grew up in Chicago, but I didn't climb when I lived there. So when I go back, it'd be like, well, right. 
I've heard of this place up there. It's called Devil's Lake. Let's go. And I'd rope some friends into going up there. Right. But of course, we'd just drop in and camp and climb for a couple of days. But there's this like focal point that I didn't know about, or is it gone? It's gone. It's gone now. Oh. And it was a, a chapter in history. It was pretty awesome. It was um, it was a sweet little spot right next to Devil's Lake State Park. It was called the Silverdale Resort. Had a had fireplaces and anybody that's listening that had climbed it was a lake climber and knows about the Silverdale, you know, had a hundred imported beers and a couple fireplaces with couches and all the artwork on the walls was, you know, local climbers leading classic routes. And, um, it was just like for maybe a, I don't know, eight to 10 year period, it was just kind of the, the center for Midwestern climbing on a lot of levels. Like if you didn't know, you have a partner, you just went to the Silverdale on Friday night and everybody was there making their plans. And I had a cabin there. And so my cabin was kind of like the, you know, dirt bag. My yard would be filled with climbers and on my deck and and things like that because I worked at the bar. And um, it was really kind of the, you know, everybody's hatching their plans on Friday night of what they're going to go and lead or, you know, and then the bouldering started and um, it really kind of became the base camp. Right. You know, kind of the Miguel's of the Midwest on a lot of levels. You know? And so you guys were, were right on the front end of uh, sort of the bouldering craze. Yeah, just really in about um, around 98, I think, 98, 99 is mm-hmm. when I think, you know, bouldering really started getting, coming to the forefront in the Midwest. And I, Around the country, I think a lot too. It really started getting popular around that time, and yeah, it was. I mean, there was like a, a shift from this idea of it being this thing you did when you couldn't go rope climbing, right? Or you were Practicing. training for rope climbing. Yeah. yeah. You know, among certain circles and among certain people, and Waco had gone off by then to yep, a certain extent. For sure. But it it definitely wasn't, you know, what it's become in terms of like this this whole separate movement from climbing. You you yeah. bouldered. But you were still, you know, interested in rope climbing. Sure. And now, I mean, it's, you can, you know, this huge populace are just bolder. Yeah, that's so. all they do. So when I say the forefront, somebody's going to be like, wait a second, yeah. John Gill did this right eliminator yeah. in 1960. Yeah. It's like, I get it, right? Yeah. I'm talking about sort of like the overall trend. Yeah, you know, and Gill, you know, he did some classic problems at Devil's yeah. Lake. And, um, that you know when he lived in Chicago and that and there was all kinds he of did? problems. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of cool if you go to Horsetooth Reservoir. They have in Fort Collins. They have a little like history of bouldering and they say the three birthplaces of modern bouldering were at Jenny Lake in the Tetons, Horsetooth Reservoir, and Devil's Lake, Wisconsin. Was, I saw that a few years ago. I was like, well, was so, that because of him? Yeah. So those he were lived, the three places yeah, that, right, he, that he went to right. basically. <laughs> But, I gotta get him on the show. Yeah, he. Uh, so he was in um, Chicago for a number right. of years, and so he would come up. And I mean, he he on-site soloed, you know, ten plus routes that are still like demanding trad leads to this day. You know, first ascent on-site solo, and he put up, you know, problems that are, you know, V four, V five, you know, no pads, his boots, just like he did everywhere else. But right. so it has a history in bouldering there. And then kind of the next wave came with. Um, some of the people like Tommy Deutschler and uh, Eric Zishi that started developing the bouldering there. And then I think there was some of us young punks who started learning about bouldering. I knew about bouldering bouncing back and forth between Fort Collins and then just seeing the bouldering at the lake. We're like, well, we have kind of have what they have. There's all these rocks here, you know, that aren't rope right. routes. Like, right. And we just set off like a, a pack of wild dogs man we were just we were hunters you know every day just going to different looking at maps and maybe there's rocks here and you know most of the time we struck out but a lot of times we found just beautiful stone i mean that 
that Baraboo Quartzite is is, bare, is beautiful rock, purple, and no friction. It's right. like a cue ball, you know, so super precise footwork, and um, it started lending itself to really good bouldering, and it um, it became a really magical time, I think, for a lot of us, you know, any doing anything where you're finding new stuff. Right. It's fun, you know, it's kind right. of an adventure, and so it was, uh, it was a cool group of people with a lot of energy and a lot of psych and a lot of people willing to sacrifice their personal time to go look for new stuff and mm -hmm. you know you'd get that call of like you're not going to work tomorrow like i just found this place and it's radical we need to go and we would you know we'd quit our jobs or skip out of work and you know go put up new problems and you know, it was before the really the internet was that popular. So really, it was just we were documenting it. You know, Eric Zishi was really the kind of the ringleader as far as documenting. Like, had a little binder of all the new routes and stuff. And we tried a new bouldering system that was the DL system. It was one, two, or three, kind of like the B system. Okay. And needless to say, it didn't catch on. <laughs> but well, what did it stand for? It was similar like to the B easy, scale. You know, it was sort like sort of hard, you know, really like, impossible. Yeah, like nobody's repeated it. It's B three. Oh. You know, like if somebody repeated okay. or a couple people and it gets downgraded to B2 or DL2, you know, and um, it was, I know, and looking back on it, maybe that tells kind of a story that we were, we weren't chasing numbers, we were definitely just chasing, trying to find the most beautiful problem is right. what everybody was looking for, that one beautiful boulder that stood by itself that you, you know, that you found and got to introduce your friends to, it was, uh, it was a cool really high energy time. Right. For sure. So it's kind of a classic thing where there's these climbers that have been there for 20 30 40 years at this point we're just walking past these things yeah some of them yeah some day. were half yeah. an hour hike through the woods oh, okay. and bam here it is but a lot of them were right under our noses and mm -hmm. that's something i've really learned over the years is there's been places where i've climbed and climbed and climbed and all of a sudden you look at it differently and or somebody like, else does. Some, yeah. It's, I think it's probably totally. the more common thing. Yeah. It happens all the time yeah. where it's all of a sudden somebody just has a new eye. Right. And it's, oh, that's, yeah, you totally could climb that. I just never thought of that. Right, you right, know? exactly. And, um, I think that's that's pretty cool. You know, it's kind of a, it's that's the progression, I think, of mm -hmm. how it's supposed to go. It's the evolution of it, I guess. You know, everybody, every new generation has new skills and a new, a new vision mm -hmm. for either what they're seeing or what's possible, right? For sure. Well, it's interesting because you have been telling me too about the rock climbing around here because we talked about the ice climbing. And when I say around here, I'm not talking about Devil's Lake, but I'm talking about sure. this area sure. in particular. And in some ways, there's kind of this interesting aspect of that. While there's, while you guys are sort of, uh, you know, having to scrape around looking for rock here, at the same time, so much has been developed in the West. Yeah that we are also at this point if we want to do first ascents scraping around and looking for things sure you know and i literally there's three four cliffs that i've been to that i rode off and i just said this is choss like these this i hiked up there scrambled up there looked at it touched it and was like no this isn't worth it that are now cliffs right with roots on them sure well, a couple of those i still don't climb out of because they still suck. But a couple of them, you know, <laughs> they turn into, like, legitimate fun cliffs sure. to climb on. Sure. And so it's like the new eyes thing is is just so important. Yeah. And But in this weird way, you know, again, driving up here just a few miles, I was on the river. You know, I saw cliffs, and from where I was driving, I'm like, yeah, that looks like chalk. Yeah. But right away, I was like, yeah, but you know better, Calusa. <laughs> it, 
It might be. Right. Maybe it is. Yeah. But you don't know until it you usually go up. is. It usually and in is. some ways right. you don't know until someone sinks the first root into it. Yeah. And then yeah. you're like, okay, this is still chalk. Yeah. Like and that was a waste like, of my time and the bolts. color of the rock yeah. can let you know. Like we've learned things like sure. you know, the black and the gray limestone yeah. is bullet hard. Right. Generally, the white limestone is chossy, yeah. and so. But you're um, seeing potential here for for a good amount of rock climbing too. I think we have a huge, huge potential here. Yeah, and we're working super hard to try to, you know, get access to some of these areas and buying areas and working with land managers. But, um, you know, I say it all the time, like 90% of the rock around here is choss, but the 10% that is here is like a lifetime's worth mm-hmm. of development for sure. And, and, you know, I don't care really where you are, but climbing a 195-foot beautiful limestone pitch 600 feet above a river is is cool right and and it kind of goes back to the ice park too like it it is maybe selfish on my part of wanting to work on this but it's also going to benefit the community too and it's just um, nobody's really kind of focused on this corner of the Mm -hmm. state I mean Mm -hmm. Minnesota actually does have some really awesome climbing up on the north shore by Duluth and Palisade Head and you know it's basically sea cliff climbing and long history up there and it's there's definitely stuff here but this area has just been kind of overlooked and and again you really have to look at it with you're not you know it's not trad climbing right you know so now you're looking at you know drilling bolts and getting access for that and that's a hurdle and then you know there's what maybe five or six people to own a hammer drill in minnesota right in the whole state <laughs> yeah not, probably not winning, no, winning right, right right in the right. whole state right. you know it's just not you know it's not some it's a lot of work right. you know and then on top of it you have to do it properly and you have to do that with that land ethic and i think that's something that's really important for us to as climbers to understand and embrace to landowners is that that conservation mindset is really important you know and um, that was instilled to me from a very young age you know of the land ethic really looking at things like you know what all the leopold's take was on the land and we're members of the community and bolting with land managers is an education piece mm-hmm. you know i mean we learned it up at the north shore at palisade head the land managers finally put bolts in because of the climbers going to the top and to the edge so much we knock that soil off and that's never coming back and then right. it exposes the tree roots and then the trees die and that's not good for anybody so the rock around here you know there's a there's three or four cliffs right pretty much in town here that if we get access to i think will be for midwestern climbers i think will be really really great mm-hmm. really great so um I, you know i'd like to see some two pitch and some nice long steep sport routes is there so there is a uh minnesota climbers Minnesota Climbers Association, Association, the MCA. just saying MCA, so I didn't know Minnesota Climbers Association, and that's our our main advocacy group in Minnesota. And the MCA has been doing some really, really great things, Um, gotten even some, you know, national attention from the Access Fund and um, has really become active in building the Sandstone Ice Climbing Park in Sandstone, Minnesota, north of the cities, Um, actually buying private land and turning it back over to land managers for rock climbing specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we have the ability now where we're actually, we're raising, we have the ability to raise funds, purchase property, um, and really advocate for climbing. And you know, the more climbers win and build those really good relationships with the land managers, the more we can build off of each other. Right. I mean, that's helped me with the ice park here. The fact that the Sandstone Ice Park is a huge success and the city of Sandstone loves it because it's bringing right. new people in. 
that's an easy point of reference for me to say to our land, you know, to our city folks as well. And hopefully, hopefully there's a ripple effect and there's more communities, you know, across the country that can use, maybe they can use us as a reference to mm -hmm. help them as their case. Because, you know, it's the data and the research-driven attitude that's going to work with those people. Well, it's funny because when you told me about the ice park, I was like, yeah, that's probably a pretty good way to use an otherwise useless cliff. Like, yeah. It, it can be choss. It can totally. be like a total piece of crap for a rock climbing cliff. I'm like, yeah, that's actually. But it's like, great for ice. Yeah, and totally. that's right where we're running. Is like right. you would never rock climb on it. Right. You know, um, you know, it's definitely better for vandalizing than for rock climbing. Right. Right. But for ice climbing, you know, I yeah. mean, it's gonna be radical. That's awesome. Radical. Yeah. That uh, I was just kind of like that was my first thought. I'm like, yeah, that crappy useless piece of rock because I always think about that when I see Choss. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why? Right. Why isn't that bullet? Right. Like, it's right, right there, right. you know? Like, oh, man, I have spent yeah. so many days hiking, <laughs> bushwhacking, hot, sweaty, cut right. up from thorns because you right. know this thing or you saw it on Google Earth right. and you get, you know, you're way out into the middle of freaking nowhere and from the distance it looks good right. and you hike up treacherously to the base and it's just so bad that you don't even want to stand underneath yeah. it. <laughs> so. what, it's funny you say that. What do we owe Google Earth these days? Like, yeah. Anybody I know who develops now, it's the first thing. They're like, yeah, I saw it on Google Earth. Yeah. You know? It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's Game changer. Yeah, for sure. Because here, and I think the red is the same way, you know, or places down in the southeast. It's yeah. like, you know, you're like, there's not a cliff here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. After you've hiked through the woods because sure. you just can't see it. I mean, Colorado is a whole different ballgame. It's right? obvious. You just, oh, yeah, there's that. It's, there it is, like, two hours away. Right. You can go look at it. Yeah, and I use that with land managers yeah. around here and our city folks as well, that in the Midwest, you know, when, when you live out west, the recreation's obvious. Mm -hmm. There's a mountain there. There's skiing right. there. There's biking there. There's climbing there. It's, it's slapping you in the face. But here, you, you have to hunt for it. Mm -hmm. And if you're a tourist or somebody not from the area, you kind of need somebody to hold your hand and show it to you. A lot mm -hmm. like the red really inspired me to do more work around here because right. the terrain is a lot of the same where it's not super obvious. Like if you took somebody and you just drove them through the Red River Gorge and you didn't tell them it was a climbing mecca, they'd probably be like, oh, there's some potential here. Oh, you know? for sure. They, <laughs> I mean, people who just tourists who drive through there yeah. never know there's climbing. Right. Unless they get out of their car and drive and wa start walking around. Right. And some of the best sport climbing in the world. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, even to me, who's a climber, I was like, wow, this is really hidden. Yeah. You know, the hollers and all that business, yep. which yep. I'd heard about, but I was just like, you know, there's not, I mean, we're hiking to the mother load and I'm like, where are we going? Yeah. And then two minutes later, we're standing underneath it. I'm yeah. Like, oh, that's where we're yeah, going. Yeah, this is good. Like, yeah, yeah, this is pretty sweet. So I want to ask you a, a couple things and then we'll get to the, the family. But how, what was your path to this advocacy thing from, I mean, you keep going back to selfishness, which I think has to be a component in it in terms of like sustaining yourself, right? right? Yeah. But what was your path to advocacy from like, A, you were like the hippie guys playing hacky sack to a dirt bike climber, you know, and we talked a little bit about how it's really hard to you know, a lot of times you come up against this like anti-establishment yeah. sort of feeling and climbing that can actually be, you know, sort of a roadblock to advocacy. Mm -hmm. How did you get there? It happened in a couple phases. One was more retrospective. So growing up, um, you know, Baraboo, Wisconsin, that's, you know, a couple key players were from that area kind of. So one, 15 minutes away was John Muir. 
lived in Portage, Wisconsin, and he's obviously fairly important. Right. And then the other one was Aldo Leopold. <laughs> I didn't know he was from so Wisconsin. So he was yeah. from Scotland, but he lived in Portland, oh, or okay. Portage, Wisconsin, is where okay. his family moved. Yeah. And he started all of his travels out of there. Went to school at UW-Madison and stuff. And then um, the next generation then was Aldo Leopold, and he's kind of the father of conservation. And growing up, my closest friend happened to be Aldo Leopold's great-grandson. And so we spent a lot of time on the Leopold Reserve, and um, his grandmother, Nina Leopold, was Aldo's daughter, kind of became my grandmother. My grandmother lived in Norway, so, mm -hmm. and so she kind of instilled that, my, you know, my family wasn't an outdoorsy family, and so she kind of gave me that perspective on it, and looking back on it, and the importance of the place that we were, as I became an adult, I realized that that was actually really important lessons that I learned from, from her and from that mm -hmm. property, and learned about Leopold. So I kind of had that in me, and it didn't come out till later of kind of that conservation ethic. Um, with climbing, specifically in the advocacy, I think one point that was pretty important to me that made me start thinking differently was um, we were climbing Zenyatta and Trada in on the Tower of Babel Formation in, in Arches National Park, and we ran across Sam Leitner, who was rebolting the route. And that was one of the first times I came across a climber that was um, he wasn't really out climbing for fun. He'd probably climb that route a bunch of times, I would guess, and um, he was out there, you know, toiling away just to make the anchors better for us, you know, and drilling and stuff. And we we helped him a minuscule amount, but we got to spend some time on the route with him over a course of a day and a half and talk to him about it. And that kind of stuck with me. And always has been in kind of the back of my brain that there's people out there who are taking their time and they're doing it right you know they're working with the land managers and they're putting the right hardware and they're doing it right and I kind of got to the point where especially here where it's like you know if I don't do it nobody else is going to do it mm -hmm. and so um, looking at the potential and looking at how we used to be kind of a counterculture and under the radar and maybe there was the climbers against the land managers I want to get it all out on the table and let's just do it right. Right. You know, everybody on the same page. So I think those kind of things collided and now getting older, looking back at, you know, Nina Leopold and some of the things she installed and her impressions on me. Um, now I'm, I'm not a biologist. I'm never going to be somebody who's holding the conservation flag, but I can kind of do that in the climbing culture. Right. You know, in that community and say, let's do this right. You know, that, yeah, we don't have to have a lot of impact and if we can really educate some of these land managers and get on the same page with them, you know, we can have really great climbing and less lessen the impact, or at least the impact is proper. Mm -hmm. So it's important. Yeah, well, and again, as the resources get squeezed, yeah. as it were, yeah. you know, and, and let's face it, in the Midwest, they, they've always been squeezed. Yeah, you big know, time. Because the, the, the Devil's Lake people could have shut it all down years ago. Sure. I mean, they, they didn't let let you know they didn't want anyone to climb the diamond back in the 60s and right, that Rocky right. National Park you know it's right. like they've always been on the verge of being like right do, you know and, and the devil's lake thing is when I mean, a lot of people may not know this but it's a it's a complete anti-bolting ethic there it's all trad and it's all trad even yeah. the top anchors there's yeah. what like one bolt there isn't there there's one a handful like, of yeah. them around you know, you know Cleveland put some in and yeah but in the modern sense, there's none. No way. And so, no way. And, and had they sprayed them all over the place, maybe we'd have a whole different problem. Yeah. You know, so, and they don't really need to be there. But, you know, so it's kind of, it's, 
Yeah. The counterculture thing versus working with people has always been this push and pull in the mm -hmm. sport. Well, so. and it's a roll of the dice, you know? I mean, a lot of climbers can probably relate. They might have their secret crag, whether it's on public land or private land, but that the minute you decide to go to that land manager, you're putting all your chips on the table. Sure. Because you're saying, if this doesn't work, right. we're host. As we're never going to be, because now we're on the radar and they yeah. know we're climbing here. And so that's like, that's a dangerous step that a lot of people don't want to take. You know, it's right. like, hey, five of us can climb here and it's good for us. Yeah. Let's just keep that. But long term wise, it's no, that's not going to work if mm -hmm. we want to grow the community. So if you're going to take that to the table, you know, you better have some some good data and some really good backing, not just your stories of how important it is. And this makes me a better person. Right, right. Know? Like yeah. that doesn't work. Not <laughs> well, with them. You know, not with people that it's foreign to them. Well, you keep talking about how it's like this selfish thing that you do because yeah. you want the roots and you want the ice and you want all those sorts of things. Certainly, if it's going to be a long term sort of ad or like a vocation for you in a sense, you got to have a personal stake in it, yeah. you know, and also it's good that it has to come from the inside, right? In terms of the community as well. But let's talk about, let's finish up with that because, um, you do have this personal stake. You are a climber who's, you know, spent what, since the late nineties, you, you, you made that shift into, I want to be yeah. a climber all yep. the time. You spent life as a dirtbag, but now you have three kids. Yep. You have got a, a legitimate career. Yeah. Um, you live in this little town in the Midwest, so can you talk a little bit about that as we as we finish up here about, because um, a lot of people ask me about that. It's like, well, how, it's great to hear about these professional climbers that are, if not getting paid to go climbing, at least their lifestyle is being supported. Sure. What about the rest of us, you know? Yeah. Talk and a little bit about the, moving into that. The everyman yeah. category. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I don't climb hard, um, but I, I love climbing, for sure. I mean... I, there's been times where I've definitely been able to dedicate myself to climbing and you know maybe I've climbed some V9s or some 12s on whatever but um, once you start getting into the family scene I don't know maybe like a lot of people out there who have maybe had a child or can go back to that first stage of I'm having a kid is it all over type of thought you know mm -hmm. like do I now that I have a child I can't take risk you know I can't I gotta shut it down and you know I definitely struggle with that a little bit but I mean climbing is just so much of who I am like most people who climb like we love it and it's a huge chunk of who we are right. and um, you know I met my wife you know at Devil's Lake and early on and she liked climbing was really good at it but eventually I ruined it for her you know? <laughs> and so she was just like it's not my thing she'd rather go backpacking or ride a horse or something you know and so that was the well, first you ruined it by being so intense I think so I tried, okay, yeah I we had it. a grand right. Teton epic right, and right. it's a whole nother yeah. enorma cast okay, that we good. can get into but um, there's probably a, there's a lot of there's guys probably a fair like, number of guys out there yeah, who that did just the, put their hands in their, yeah, and, and, yeah. or their head in their hands like oh yeah, yeah I know what he's talking about but I remember we got to a point and it sounded kind of hardcore I think at the time but that was my first kind of family conflict was okay now here's here's this woman I really care about she cares about me but she's not a climber mm -hmm. like oh man like this is a big crossroads because my vision at that point was my wife and I are we're going to climb around the world or you know this is what we're going to do we're you know you're 20 or whatever so we just sat down and said, listen, if this is going to work, like I have really big dreams of things I want to climb. I want to go on expeditions. I'm going to be gone. And, you know, I don't know if this is going to work mm -hmm. for us. And that's where we, um, we made a contract, a climbing contract. And it was kind of funny that, um, 
maybe like my German side came out in me or something where it was very like, we're gonna lay this down clear cut and she was on board she's like all right let's start with what defines a climbing trip you know right. we negotiate it and we're like okay anytime you're gone more than like three nights that's a climbing trip like okay so how many climbing trips was this even you know? pre-kids this was pre-kids oh wow so we got it all out there and uh so we basically agreed with i can take like two month-long climbing trips a year and um it can once I go past that three night stay, then it's a climbing, it's a climbing trip. trip. So if okay. I burn one of my trips on a seven day trip, you know, to Eldo, you or can't something, be like I get three more weeks. Right, and I, I pushed it into the future. The first right. couple of years, I was right. backlogged a little right. bit, but um, so it you know it worked out really well. In the first couple of years, I maxed it. You know, I went to Alaska for thirty two days. I went to Yosemite for a month. You know, and I I pushed it. Um, but then we started having children. And, so hold on um, a second. I yeah. got another question. Okay. This is a piece of paper. Um, it, I don't or know if we ever more, really okay, wrote okay. it down. Okay. I just want. But it was a clearly defined <laughs> kind, and I'm pretty sure okay. we shook hands when okay, we were done okay. with it. Okay. Okay. So all right. So it was it's laid pretty out. legit. I just was wondering yeah. if there was some like you had to get a notary yeah, over or so, anything like that. Right. No. Okay. Sorry. So you sorry, can tell your lady that we didn't okay. actually make a contract. Okay. I'm just kind of trying. I'm taking notes over here myself. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it was good. It worked out, you know, it was, and then it was all on the table. It was, huh. you know, this is what we have and um, we're going to make it work. And then uh, we started having children and uh, our first boy came along. He was born in Pocatello, Idaho and, um, you know, still wanted to get after it and climb mountains and walls and stuff. And um, but then you start realizing that yeah, I could be gone for 30 days, but like that kid's actually pretty cool. Right. <laughs> you know, like they're fun and um, and so you miss them and so you don't want to be gone as right. long. And so you start getting kind of confronted with yourself a little bit of your priorities and um, you know, I'm a pretty driven person and you know, I have a long list of things I want to climb in my life and you have to start kind of taking inventory about what's realistic and stuff. You know, we now have three boys, um, you know, 10, 7 and Four, so we're totally in the thick of it, but I still at least want to climb one or two big objectives a year, and trying to find that balance is hard. The other thing that I never saw coming was the mental component of it. You know, I mean, if you're climbing a wall route or you know something in the mountains that has objective danger, it's really easy to start questioning what the hell am I doing here? You know, I've mm -hmm. got kids. You know, and I've even said it to my wife. You know, as far as like you know. It's really hard to describe to somebody that you want to leave them and make their life harder while you're gone. Like right. you're a solo parent while I'm gone for two weeks to go to Yosemite. Um, it's really hard for a lot of people probably to understand that. And then to be sharp, you know, you're, you are a risk to others on your climbing team if you're not sharp and fully in the game and in that moment. And you know, if you want to be on the ground the whole time that you're up there, that's not safe. Mm -hmm. Really, you know, all of a sudden you're a liability, and so you have to be able to kind of turn your brain off from that home mode and kind of maybe I don't know lie to yourself that you're still a dirtbag climber, right? Or what, but it's um, you know, it takes a little bit more to push. Mm -hmm. You know, like I still have that fire, I still love climbing as much as I I ever have, really, and it's just it's in different chunks. It's, you know, we can't go to Yosemite for 30 days. We're going to go to Yosemite for seven days, mm -hmm. you know, and we need to pack in as much time, as much climbing into that time as possible. And so I've gotten really good at packing a lot of climbing into a short period of time. Right. You know? I mean, like I said, we'll go to the crag and we're going to lead 50 routes today, you know, or I'm going to go and 
solo 10 routes, boulder 10 routes, lead 10 routes, and just coming up with these little quirky challenges that make me get the most climbing into it. But it also kind of lends yourself to a really limited partner pool who are up for that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. You know, um, It's not statistically good to go try to climb El Cap with a seven-day window. Right. You, right. you want to leave yourself some room. Yeah, yeah. buy the plane ticket. Right. So you're kind of throwing it all out yeah. there. Not, not a lot of people want to take that risk. And so I have a few partners who have who understand or they're in the same boat and so we try to get it done you know and just add another feather to our cap you know uh -huh. another desert tower another wall another peak whatever and um, I'm a better person for it you know when I come home I am grateful to be home I appreciate my family and I think it's really important to miss those people that you love too mm -hmm. so you know, I get home and I'm psyched to be home. I only want to be home mm -hmm. after that, you know, and building up to a trip, your mind is kind of starting to go on that trip already. Um, and maybe you're not present, but then when you come back, I'm fully present now. And so it's a, it's an interesting challenge that I never foresaw happening. And I could really understand why a lot of people, I have a number of friends who just packed it in once they had kids, you know, it's too hard. Right. I mean, it's way easier just to go golfing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> but you, know, uh, you just made my heart sink. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think too, like in terms of packing it in, and the way you said of like refocusing what your goals were. Yeah. Because the packing it in too is is a, has a lot of times has a lot to do with the difficulty of mm -hmm. not being able to achieve, you know, the grades or whatever. Sure. The the because you know we can all pretend and you know, talk about how oh, grades don't matter, but they, it's a big part of our sport Yeah, to yeah. be able to climb better than you did last year and, yeah. you know, send that thing that you've been trying for years and years and yeah. years. So it feels like that's an important aspect of like, okay, well, what are these other things within the world of climbing that I can challenge myself oh, with besides these numbers? Yeah. And it's your, not just your physical health, but your mental health, mm -hmm. you know, for me at, at least is, you know, it keeps me focused, you know, I mean, I'm not going to do, I, if I don't have that carrot in front of me to do, you know, my whatever, my plank and my hundred crunches in the morning and go to the gym or go for that hike or that bike ride, like I might not do it. Right. You know? And it's like that saying, like the hardest thing of any real objective is just getting out the front door. You know, like if you get out the front door, but if you don't have that carrot out there, you know, it really keeps, keeps me psyched. It keeps the drive going. And I mean, I don't know. It's like with rock climbing, I'm sure we're all biased about it, but I just think it's one of the coolest sports because we can dream these crazy things, you right. know? And if we have the time and the resources, we can at least get after it and try it. You know, like you can't do that with basketball. Like, you know, there's not like this ultimate court to go play on and it's not attainable to play in the NBA or the NFL statistically. But for us, if we train and we have the right skills, like we can do these amazing objectives. And for me, that's super inspiring. And for mm -hmm. me, with children now, with being a father, you know, some people like I've had people even in my family are like, "That's reckless." You know, you know, you're going gonna to climb El Cap that, yeah, or whatever, right. and like, look at yourself. You're hanging in a hanging tent or whatever. Like, that's that is irresponsible as a parent. I've mm -hmm. had people straight up tell me that, and I don't want my kids to grow up living in fear. You know, I want my kids to know that the world is small, and they can go all around it, and that they should dream really big dreams, and then try to do them, and maybe even go beyond it. You know, and 
you know, I always write a letter to my kids, each of them, before I go on a climbing trip. And it's not like, if I die, I loved you. You know, it's not right, that. Right, right. If, if you're reading this, no, it's like, I'm hey, gone. they're you know, right. just to, you know, maybe they keep them or something. But it's like, hey, I hope this, you know, one day inspires you, you know, to show that it's really, really hard for me to leave my kids. Like, it's really hard. And maybe mm. sometimes my wife, I think she understands it, but I think some other people in our family think that, you know, I'm always trying to escape from my right. family. It's the other way around. But it's hard, like, man. It is so go. hard, you know, when they're giving you a lot of times I try to leave in the middle of the night or super early in the morning when they're not awake but you know it makes you really question yourself but um, you know just to let them know that don't be afraid you know be yourself stay true to yourself you know live your dreams go for it you know and I know it's gonna be kind of like motivational speaker talk or something but um, you know as a parent I think that's one of our duties is to inspire our kids you know and I hope they I hope they one, if they get into climbing, they can rope gun for me when I'm old. That'd be great. But if nothing else, whatever they do, I want them to not live in fear, and I want them to be able to just get after it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's key. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do as parents. You know, make them better than us. So, I'm just hoping I'm a good example to them in my little part of going and climbing rocks. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's all we're doing. Right on. <laughs> yeah. But a little bit of fitness helps being a good parent too. You know, the best. <laughs> the best defense is a good offense. You know, like, we <laughs> so can still like, run them into the ground. Right, like, you guys are driving us crazy. Right. Guess what? We're going backpacking. Right, right. <laughs> We're so, going mountain biking. Yeah, so this general fitness is that you get from climbing allows you to right. be a solid dad. I'm going to grind you into the ground, and then you're going to fall asleep, and yeah. your mom and I you are going to drink a glass of wine You tonight. might have a couple more years of that, but that's yeah. going to turn itself on its own right, right, right. in a couple few years as well, yeah. I'm afraid. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm sure you've had you know a lot of people on your show I've listened to a lot of the cast it's awesome and there's always kind of the majority of folks saying those things like climbing saved me or you know climbing is so important to me and um, it has been for me it's been you know everything that I have largely is related to climbing Mm -hmm. you know I mean you know meeting my wife out there in those areas and things like that it's just um, I don't know it's it'll always be something I do on some level for sure you know until I can't walk definitely well thanks man thanks for letting me uh come to your house and and bug you for an hour on this show yeah I'm I'm honored to be a normal dude on the normal cast that's I'm thanks for coming yeah but you're you know let's face it what you're doing out here in Winona will be remembered so it's not like you're just a normal dirtbag climber hanging out out there. So right. I think you're, you know, you're, you have the potential to create something special here. And uh, I mean, most of the time when, when someone from the Midwest or somewhere flat, although it's, you know, like I said, there's some hills here. Come on now. But when they email me and they're like, I want to be a climber, like I just started, and I'm in the gym, mm-hmm. and what do I need to do? And like the first thing in my email is like, you need to move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm like, whatever it takes, if your parents will send you to college out here, that sounds good. If you just come out here and get a job, like, there's no border patrol at Colorado's borders. I mean, I did it. But Knowles Mountaineering course when I was you know twenty. Changed that's my life. changing. Yeah. Right. It and is. That's cool, and that's thanks to guys like you. So yeah, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Hopefully, you'll inspire somebody else up here uh, to do the same thing where they live. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Okay. 
Thank you so much to Eric and actually to his family. I just rolled into their house in Winona and very, very hospitable. Wife Amber, his three kids that were in the snow, out of the snow, gearing up, gearing down, running around, giving me suspicious looks. Guy drinking their dad's beer that they'd never seen before. Anyway, very nice visit out there, and uh, thanks to Eric for sitting down. He was a bit reluctant. The everyman often is, but uh, obviously opened up, so that was great. Okay, folks, don't forget that you can support the NormaCast by going to enormacast.com and clicking on the Help Out tab. Also, just telling your friends. Tell your friends, check it out. Have them give it a listen. They like it, they can stick around. If they don't, they don't have to listen anymore. It's awesome like that. Cool, rolling into 100, rolling into daddy time. Big things going on here at the NormaCast. Get out there, check your knot. And actually, this BD recall just reminds me to get out there and check your gear with or without a recall, with or without problems. Who doesn't love just sitting down, fondling their cams, throwing a little tri-flow on there, getting your beaners all working, maybe retire a few things, dirt bags, a few of those grooved-out beaners, just chuck them. They're not that expensive. Get some new ones, that tatted-out, sun-drenched, quick-draw that you booted off your project. Come on, get rid of it. You know, I don't know, can you recycle that type of aluminum? I don't know. There's all sorts of useful things for old climbing gear. Keychains, hang crap in your shed from them. Give them to the local rancher. They love that shit. Old ropes too. Actually, ranchers love those. When I was in Jordan, every one of the camels there, because of the climbers, had bridles made out of climbing ropes. Yeah, useful stuff, just no good for climbing anymore. Get rid of it. That is all. Sorry, sir. Ma'am, I answered your question. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here. And there, uh, there's no... Uh... Sir, you have no call to get snippy with me. I'm just doing my job here. I'm... I'm not... Uh, I, I'm not arguing here. I'm cooperating. <laughs>